Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and joining me today to talk about the position groups. We're going to go through and we're going to rank the Seahawks position groups. Now that we're six games through the season, now that the Seahawks are five and one, I feel like we have a pretty good idea how the different groups are shaping up. And joining me to talk about it in advance of his 100th episode with the Pedestrian Podcast, Mr. Adam Nathan. How are you doing, Adam? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on. And yeah, it's a, a banner day for the Pedestrian Podcast. We're recording uh, our 100th episode. Stuart is in Seattle. I think he's recording it from the 710 Studios, So, which is good because for the first time in the history of our show, people will, will be able to understand a word that's coming out of Stuart's <laughs> mouth because um, he'll have a real microphone. So that that's a big plus. Um, and maybe it'll be the first time I can actually answer a question because I know what the heck he's talking about. So yeah, it could, could be uh, could be one to check out. Seven Ten Studio is it? Uh, maybe some potential guest appearances with with being at the radio station. I think Jessamine McIntyre might be sitting in with us, and I have you know have asked her that I'm assuming that she's got at least an hour set aside for Seahawks legends, old and new, giving us kind of <laughs> congratulatory uh, sentences. I, you know, this thank you for joining us on the hundredth episode. This is Steve Largent congratulating you on your on your achievement. I'm not entirely sure she's come through just yet, but uh, let, let's see how it works out. Well, can't wait to check it out. But I do want to get into this this discussion, and to do this. Obviously, the position groups, I, I have nine of them selected, uh, quarterback, receivers, running back, uh, you know, all the defensive positions. We'll even throw special teams in there. It it leaves us with an odd number, but I think it'll be fun to just have, you know, that schoolyard style pick where you don't <laughs> want to be the last one standing. And and but we're, we're going to end up with somebody today. I, I have a couple of ideas who it's going to be. So what you know, sport I, in your I, playground was uh, was the was that lining up and was it kickball? Oh, yeah. It was soccer, soccer for us in every every <laughs> playground. And we, we used to have uh, like two games going on straight and then two games going across across that field. Like a, uh, so it was uh, carnage in our school playground. So what, what was your kind of last pick sport? Yeah, usually it would it would be kickball or soccer. And I would say mostly, you know, usually, you know, for, and kickball for us, I don't know if it's the same thing, but, uh, you know, where you have the ball and it's kind of like baseball, but you have, you kick a, a ball and that's, and you run around the bases. I, I, I don't know if you play it that way there or not. It doesn't exist, but I kind of feel like I may have missed a calling. I, I could have been uh, all pro in that. <laughs> it would, would have been all right. Well, Adam, I think I know who we're both going to start with. And so I want to do a, a little question and answer for you to see if, if you can rank the top three Seahawks quarterbacks in game winning drives for their career, because, uh, you know, you have Dave Craig, you have Russell Wilson, you have Matt Hasselbeck, and they're all pretty close in terms of the number of game winning drives mm. they've led the Seahawks to, or well, led any team to over their career. So, you know, Dave Craig obviously played for a few more teams, six teams in total. Matt Hasselbeck played for four teams. So uh, I don't have the actual Seahawks uh, stats, but I do have their overall career stats. So those three quarterbacks, where do you think they are in terms of game winning drives? Oh, it's such a good question because I, I'm naturally thinking that Wilson could be number one in the sense of how many he's led, but it's obviously got the shorter space of time. Oh my goodness. And this is really showing me up as kind of a 10 or 11 year fan versus the uh, <laughs> 2025 that I probably could have used to be for something like this. But well, and it's, uh, it's kind of a trick question too, because they're all within one game of each other. Oh my goodness. Okay. So at least I'm not having any, any uh, listeners screaming at me if I get this wrong. So let's, let's go with gut and I'll, I'll go with Wilson one, just cause I, it seems like every game that we win has some kind of fourth quarter drive that he's leading. So I'll go with him one, Craig two, Hasselbeck three. Oh, you nailed it. 
It was yep. come on. <laughs> Russell Wilson, 26 game winning drives. He just passed Dave Craig, who he was tied with at 25. And yeah, there's Matt Hasselbeck at 24 game winning drives for his career. Oh, well, that's this is a great start. <laughs> That so, is excellent. You get the first pick. You don't have to take Russell Wilson in the quarterback, but you know, I, I will leave it open to you. Well, you know, anytime you get the chance to have Geno Smith in your roster, you, you can't turn that down. So, uh, you know, then the, the litany of who, whoever could be the second, third, fourth choice Seahawks quarterback, in addition to the great man, Russell Wilson, I'm going to have to take the quarterbacks first. And, you know, with that, it's, it's so worth pointing out that it, it's just, it just looks like, like I'm watching a different guy and he's always been great, but he, I think he did an interview where he said that, you know, in year eight, he kind of feels like he's seen everything now and, you know, there's nothing that's surprising him anymore. And that shows, you know, I, I was thinking yesterday, I was talking to someone on, on Twitter, I think that for better or for worse, because they were some of his most fun plays, but like, you don't expect to see that run around play that he had. If you remember in the championship game against the 49ers, right. uh, the long pass, Doug Baldwin, when he was literally, he was in the pocket for about nine, 10 seconds running left, running right. That as fun as that was, and you know, you'd love to see that again. I don't think you're going to get that a lot more because he just knows exactly what's going on now. And I guess that's part of the development that he's got as, as the quarterback of eight years. He's not Mr. Start and the poise in which he's playing at, it just doesn't look flustered anymore. And it's not even dink and dunk. Like he's going down the field with, you would think maybe not the best offensive line to protect him and not the best set of receivers. Like what he's doing is it's, it's amazing. And I don't think we can, we can celebrate it enough. You know, it may all come crashing down, but, if it even if it does, it doesn't shouldn't overshadow what has been just a brilliant six game stretch so far. Zero interceptions in his last two hundred seven passing attempts, which is a franchise record for the Seahawks. And yeah, he's just he's playing better than you know not just anybody on the Seahawks team, but potentially anybody in the NFL right now. So it it does make for an easy pick, an easy first pick. But it leaves me with I think my easiest pick to follow that group up. And it's the group that Russell Wilson's throwing to. It's the wide receivers on this team because you have Tyler Lockett, who's continuing to play at an all pro level. He's the leading Seahawks receiver, 454 yards. You have DK Metcalf, who is, by my estimation, looks like he's on pace to pass Doug Baldwin and his rookie receiving record. If he keeps up the type of pace that he's showing just through these first six games, I had no expectation that he'd be able to do that. I mean, already 336 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, he had an, another solid game this last week against the Browns. And one of my favorite plays is he put Demarius Randall on his back, uh, <laughs> <laughs> rumbling down the field. So with, between Lockett, between Metcalf, uh, you have Jerron Brown with the two touchdown catches in the last game, kind of join in that group. And David Moore, I, I feel like it's the most kind of solid group. I, I feel good with this group of receivers right now. Certainly after Sunday, which I think was a seminal day for Metcalf. I mean, we, we were saying on our podcast with Rob Staten last week that you, you didn't get the feeling in the first five games that they really trusted him to be like a real NFL receiver in inverted commas. It was all go routes down the left-hand side. It was use your body or whatever. And we were saying that we were hoping you, you'd you see him kind of come across the field a bit more. And there were two great plays, one in the first and one in the third quarter, I think, where, you know, it was on a slant. He came inside and he says, he put Randall on his back. And, and the second one, he ran right across the field. And mm -hmm. if you can get that out of him, I think that that's going to open up so many more avenues for what you can do and have some crossing routes, you know, with Lockett and David Moore will be going on the outside as he comes in. I think that'll cause teams an awful lot more problems. And, and, you know, with Jaron Brown, you know, he, as I heard someone finally say, he only gets targeted in the, in the end zone. 
Um, but he's been super effective. And yeah, as a four, that, that looks like a really good, much better group than I was kind of fearing it was going to be co- coming into the season. And Russell Wilson does have a, a little bit to do with it. He's the one throwing him the football. So where are you going to go next now with two off the board? If this is a bit tricky. I think I'm going to pair Russell with his, with his mates in the backfield. And I think I'm going to go with the, with the running back group. Um, I think Chris Carson has been just brilliant in the last three games. I, I couldn't, I can't praise him highly enough. I was saying to Stuart that, you know, if someone, if, if an entire region of a nation was talking about me three weeks ago, when is he going to drop the ball next? Mm-hmm. You can absolutely guarantee that the first time I touched it next week, I would drop it. <laughs> and I think it just shows you the mindset of these athletes that how they can just block the noise out. And he will have known that everyone has been waiting for the next fumble in order to really bury the guy. Uh, you know, you saw it on social media during the Arizona game, people saying, Oh, he should never play again. He should be on the bench. He shouldn't be playing. Get Penny back, get CJ process there. But the way he's reacted in the last three games, and he has been a real tone setter for this team, and I think he's been brilliant. And then you, you can back that up with Penny, who frustratingly gets injured a bit much, too much, but has shown flashes when playing. And even old, old CJP has, has shown a couple of couple of bright spot, spots. So I think that running back group is, is looking pretty pretty good at the minute. So three picks in, and all we've picked uh, are offensive position groups. There's two left, though. How often would that have happened in the Seahawks over the last five years, by the way, that the first three groups picked have all been offensive? The thing is, though, I don't think we're wrong with picking these no. three groups first because I look at the Seahawks offense and this is what's carrying the football team. And it's not the defense. They're they're kind of in the middle of the pack. But I am going to switch over and pick the first defensive group. And it's not the linebackers. It's the defensive backs. I'm I'm going to pick the defensive backs as the next best position group on this team because it's the turnovers. And yes, they had three in this last game, but uh, Tedrick Thompson, you know, his interception helped seal that win over the Rams. Uh, just an incredible pick to not allow it to hit the ground. The Seahawks offense should have closed out the game after that <laughs> pick. I think we feel a lot better about the Rams game if if the, the, the Seahawks offense just closes the game out right after Thompson gets that interception. We don't have to see that field goal drive. And my big reason for selecting the defensive back group is Shaquille Griffin. A much improved season over Mm. last year. He has seven pass breakups, and he's the only one that doesn't have an interception yet. We saw Trey Flowers get his first interception. Bradley McDougal had an interception earlier on in the season, and he's allowing. I think the uh, it's McDougal who's allowing the 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 worst quarterback rating when uh, of the defensive backs when throwing his direction out of the group. So. Uh, you got McDougal, you you have Shaq Griffin and Tedrick Thompson with the two picks and, and then Trey Flowers kind of filling out that group. And you might point to him as the one weak spot. But again, he's in year two of his career. I, I'm feeling pretty good about this group overall. I'm a bit concerned that they would be in like a bend but don't break scenario. They've been very bendy at times, uh, like very, very bendy. And uh-huh. it's not quite broken yet, but there was a time on Sunday when I was watching on 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 my laptop and thinking this could be very problematic. But in in a way, like one of the best things they've been able to do is have periods of games where they've looked like it's about to collapse on them, but they've bounced back amazingly well. There, there were two or three periods in the Rams game where I thought we are knackered on defense now, like we're, we're in trouble and they, they can move the ball at will. But the adjustments they're making and, and the performances they're putting in, they're, they're showing great character to to bounce back in a lot of situations. And 
you're so right about Shaq Griffin. I think he's ranked fourth best by PFF uh, and all cornerbacks in the league this season, which is amazing. And uh, his speed has been amazing. And there's been two or three uh, kind of tape shots. One of them happened, I think, on on Ricky Seal Jones's touchdown on Sunday. But he was matching Odell Beckham stride for stride over over about forty yards, which is um, incredible to think that he could do that. Um, and you know, we're used to seeing lockdown corners not on that left hand side, so it would be amazing if we can uh, have another one in there to uh, to kind of keep the ball away from it. And if, you know, for me, if he's not having interceptions, but he's playing number four in the whole league, that would suggest that something is going very right. Uh, and uh, you know, Sherman stopped getting picks pretty much by the end of his, his years here because people just weren't throwing it there. Right. And so if that's going to be the same reason, then I'll, I'll take that all day long. And it kind of feels like the deepest group too, because you have Marquise Blair, who's trying to work in, you have Lano Hill, who's working into the safety group and you have Ugo Amati, who we, we haven't seen a whole lot of the defensive backs, but he's, he's part of that group. But just the depth of that group overall to me is, is a strength of the team. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. All right. Who you got next, Adam? I'm sticking defensive. And I, when, when you said defensive, I thought you were going to go with these guys. Um, so I'm also not going linebackers. I'm going with the defensive line. Mm. Um, I think partly because the, the numbers don't look great and kind of the raw sacks and hits numbers. But I think going into the season, the, the one thing that we were all very worried about is how the hell were we going to get any pressure on any quarterback with with what we've got. And obviously they signed Clowney. I think the performance of Jefferson and Ford have been so good so far. And they may not have been getting the hits and the sacks, but the, the pocket, especially like Mayfield was playing in, the, the pockets around them, these guys are collapsing on a regular basis. And what with the good performances in, in the back end and the secondary, I think the defensive line are just doing enough to make it happen. And given how much of a problematic position I thought it was going to be in the summer, I'll take enough like that, that that's good enough for me. And you know, they're, they're doing enough to win games for these guys. And I think, I think they've been good. And what, what with Darren Reed coming back on Sunday against Baltimore, that can make a huge difference. And I'm, I'm excited to see how that line progress over the next few weeks. I, th- I think that they're going to start having the numbers that match what, what my eyes are telling me. I'm not sure I would have gone defensive line here, but you do point out the, the number of pressure that they're still getting pressure on the quarterback. They've actually done pretty well uh, with especially with Jaron Reed being out these first six weeks. And yeah, I think you nailed the fact that Quentin Jefferson is, has probably been, you know, exceeding all expectations. He looks like the, the best defensive lineman on the team and whether Jadavion Clowney being part of the lineup has something to do with that. That could be part of it. Uh, we, we've seen some progress from Rasheem Green, which has been nice uh, in his second year. Uh, I'd like to see a little more from Ziggy Anza. I, this is just a group that I expected to have more depth with. And uh, fortunately, uh, you know, I'm guessing maybe part of your uh, ranking has to do with the fact that Jaron Reed is coming back. And uh, mm-hmm. and so definitely looking forward to that moving forward. LJ Collier, a little bit of a disappointment so far. Hopefully we see some improvement from the rookie. And uh, because if you can see improvement from Collier, Anza has some room for improvement. And then you have the addition of Jaron Reed. That, that could be a really nice group going forward. Yeah. And I, I said at the start of the season to, to Stuart, my co-host, that I didn't have enough fun last season watching this team play. And I'm, I'm kind of in, in it for fun a lot more this year than I was. And there are some things that Clowney does that I just watch. And I just think that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. Just the way in which a guy of that size can move and the pick six against Arizona. It just... That stuff is the stuff that gets me off my seat and I really enjoy it. So that that does it a bit more for me than kind of great linebacker play, although I'm sure Bobby Wagner 
and uh, you know could could sit me down with the tape and say, look how much of a fun play that was that I made. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm a pleb when it comes to that, so I like seeing big guys whack into small guys. So yeah, that that's that's for me. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of uh, in that same mindset, which is why I'm going to go offensive line next. Whoa, nice. Yes, I, it's, I hate to do that to the linebackers, but I'm going to explain why I'm going offensive line in this spot and not the linebacker group right after the break. Adam Nathan of the Pedestrian Podcast is joining me to talk about the Seahawks position groups as we rank them through six weeks of the 2019 season. We had the offensive line, tight ends, linebackers, and special teams left on the board, and I went ahead and took the offensive line. I was so high on this linebacker group going into the season, and I was relatively high on the offensive line. But the reason I'm taking them right now is because of the depth we've been able to see now through week six after we saw Dwayne Brown go down. We've seen DJ Fluker go down now for two weeks. Jamarco Jones getting his first start at right guard. It looks to me like the depth of this offensive line, if you can handle guys like DJ Fluker going down and you can handle Dwayne Brown going down. And yes, George Fant did give up, I think, eight pressures in this game, but he was going up against, you know, Olivier Vernon, Miles Garrett. For them to do that and for Russell Wilson to still have the time to move down the field, just looking at their allowed pressures on this year, really the only guy in the 20s is Jermaine Effetti, which, you know, if you would have told me he was going to be the guy to give up the most pressure to opposing guys going into the season. Yeah, I think I would have expected that. Uh, He's also leading the team in seven penalties. But, you know, you have every other guy behind him. You add up. Dwayne Brown, Justin Britt, and Mike Upati, and the pressures they've given up, it goes to 31. So they're almost neck and neck, those three guys with Jermaine Effetti. So uh, mm. kind of excluding Effetti, I, I really like that offensive line group. And really, if Effetti's the one player that you have to worry about on the, the offensive line, I don't think you're going to have any line where you have just an, an outstanding group, all five guys, unless you're the Baltimore Ravens, who the Seahawks are facing coming up this week. But uh, <laughs> it's it's a good group overall, and we're kind of getting down to it. And I just like the protection that they've been given Russell Wilson so far. And certainly if we think about them contextually over the last five years, I mean, how often in the middle of October have we sat and and watched Seahawks games and think that line is just a complete disaster from start to finish. And, you know, middle of, middle of October with thinking, you know, if the line can get themselves sorted, we could be a contender. Well, apart from maybe early against Pittsburgh and early against the Rams, there's not been a period of the season where I've been watching them thinking, they cannot block right. enough for Wilson. And, and the, the the magic of having a quarterback like that is that you don't need him to, you don't need seven seconds. You just need, just give him enough time to to get it done. And so if the line can, you know, I've, I've always had a mantra of don't be Catfish! Uh, for the offensive line. <laughs> right. just, 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 just don't be that. And if you're not that, then that, then that's enough. And, and I think you're spot on. And funnily enough, I actually think Fluka was as much of an issue as anyone in the, in those first few weeks. And, Obviously, it's quite difficult to analyze offensive line, and I would never profess to be, to be an expert. But from my my uneducated eyes, when when Jones came in against the Rams, they looked a lot more steady in pass and run than they did when when Fluka was in. So that's not an injury I'm overly concerned about at this stage. Uh, albeit, it was always good to have the depth. Um, Brown could be an issue if if that bicep isn't going to recover for for a few weeks. But I, I think you're right. I think overall. 
we, we have to be pleased with what we're getting from that line because considering you know what what we've come to expect over the past few years um and you know they're being pieced together and they're doing a, a good job well with the way jamarco jones is filled in for fluker i'm almost curious to see if fluker is good to go for this upcoming game against the ravens and dwayne brown isn't you know do they put jamarco jones over at left tackle where he was backing up brown in the preseason mm. Yeah, I, I'm just curious to see how that would look. Well, I think my my next pick is 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 not, now we're getting into into the trickier parts. And I think whilst I took the defensive line with my last pick with a projection of what's going forward, I think I'm going to do this pick as kind of a an homage to what we've had from this group, and especially through one guy, Will Disley. And I'm I'm going to take the the tight ends as kind of a celebration of of. Of the, of the six weeks that, that Disley gave us and what Luke Wilson's done. Um, you know, the, the blocking has been great in general. They've opened, opened up the run game really well. And I think it's such a shame what's happened to Disley and, and missing him again. You know, you, it's very difficult to, you, you never want to label a player as an, you know, a sick note or an, an injury prospect because he's had, these are two freaky injuries, but it's just such a shame that his, his first two years are going to be marred in that way. And I guess I, w- I wonder what you think they're going to do with that position because is Luke Wilson and you know, Jacob Hollister and Ed Dick, old man Ed Dixon coming back, is, is that going to be enough to, to carry them through a potential playoff run? I, I think it's tricky. That's why I was going to stay away from this group. This is the one group I wasn't going to pick, Adam. And and it's because outside of Will Disley, none of these players have even scored. Uh, I just know. wanted to celebrate him and not consider <laughs> Disley as an afterthought, because I think if we're going to wrap up his season, then he he deserves a, a, a special mention that's not buried in the last minute of the podcast. I think that's fair. And I do think that he has been a, a special player through these first six games. I'm absolutely, you know, as as you guys would say, gutted. Uh, that uh, <laughs> that they lost him just because he was, you know, you looked at Russell Wilson's receiving targets in through these first six games and his top targets have been Tyler Lockett, Will Disley, and then you could throw in Chris Carson and DK Metcalf. Those have been his top four guys that he's looked to through these first six games. And now you're, you're, at, you're now you're down Will Disley. Yeah, it, it's just, it's a real kick in the teeth, that one. Uh, I mean, I, I, no, no one's a bigger fan of Luke Wilson than me. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not convinced that he's going to be able to carry this group through. And we were discussing on our podcast before Disley went down that maybe a trade for someone like OJ Howard could be could be a, a prudent move to make. And yeah. depending on what Tampa are looking to to get in return for that, uh, that, that may be a way that they, they look to go before the end of the month. Out of all the guys out there, I think that one probably makes the most sense considering how little they're using him with the bucks now i'm curious though with the way the trade deadline goes with the way let's see we play that's the week nine game so uh the rams are definitely making moves in this division and i'm hoping that the seahawks if they do trade for a position this would be the one that i would look at and say yeah that that's where we need some help well i think they're in a position at five and one where you have to look at the the situation and say, okay, this is a potentially winning season. And so if it's going to be a case of a, a couple of, of mid to late round picks, is that really more valuable? You know, I know that they, they hoard these picks for a reason, but sometimes if you get the chance to 
swap him for an almost guaranteed player. I mean, obviously he's had a bit of a, a down year in Tampa so far, but the guy has undoubted talent. And with a quarterback like Russell Wilson versus playing with a clown like Jameis Winston, um, you know, that could really bring the best out of him. So it's a position group that, again, may, maybe in two weeks' time with OJ Howard and Luke Wilson and old man Ed Dixon, this pick looks a prudent one at, at number seven. Okay, the, the NFL's trade deadline is the Tuesday following the eighth week. So yeah, the timing of that would be that that O.J. Howard could potentially come to the Seahawks right before that same week of the game against the Seahawks. <laughs> so the, the timing of that is just problematic. You know, if I were going to actually one other trade that I would consider making for the Seahawks would be going out and getting a slot cornerback and Chris Harris in his final year with the Denver Broncos. Mm. If you can maybe get him for a third round pick, if he's potentially leaving at, at the end of the season anyway, I could see that move making sense for the Seahawks. I like it. That'd be good. I mean, that obviously they were right in a way not to pay Justin Coleman, but Justin Coleman is proving why he got paid what he did in Detroit. He's he, he's balling out, and he he's been a miss, um, an, an undoubted miss in this team, um, especially that they've gone to so much more base defense with with the three linebackers, which I think will probably come onto that at su- at some point soon. It's not really working as well as it otherwise may have done. Um, so yeah, I think that's certainly a position they could, they could look at improving. Well, you've left me with two choices. You've left me with the linebackers and you've left me with special teams. <laughs> and as easy as I thought this decision might be, I do look at special teams and I go, well, they've scored points. They've had a blocked punt. Uh, Jason Myers, you know, he's missed a couple long field goals, but they have been on the long side. I I can't leave Bobby Wagner and the linebackers on the bench for the I, I have to take these guys for my last pick. And I agree. it's a little bit disappointing though that they've lasted this long adam because going into the season i looked at this group of linebackers with bobby wagner coming out of last season uh kj wright resigned coming back to this team and then having michael kendricks i expected this group to be kind of the premier position group of the entire team and maybe that's why they've they've fallen so below expectations is why they've lasted this long because i mean shoot you still have bobby wagner who is about to eclipse eugene robinson for having the most tackles as a member of the seahawks kj wright who's about to go to number four of all time tacklers on the seahawks so it's a it's a special group and i would have expected though to see more from michael kendricks through these first couple games he was kind of an mm-hmm. important part of a couple of those turnovers this last week against the Browns. But in terms of, uh, you know, just going and blowing guys up, we saw it early on in this year, but I feel like this is the matchup other teams are exploiting now through these first few games. Yeah. The Ricky Seal Jones touchdown kind of was reminiscent of, we seem to give that same play up against every AFC team we ever play on the road. Like I'm thinking Tyler Eifert, uh, Antonio Gates, Gronkowski, they all seem to have kind of scored that touchdown against us like uh-huh. every single time we've played them. I mean, Kendricks did have a nice little tip on a play either just before or just after, which would have been an almost identical touchdown, I think, to to Jones's on Sunday. Um, what, why do you think they're not playing well? You, like, I, I was a bit worried going into this year that maybe it was a year too many for KJ Wright and, and maybe that's how it's proving and it was a bit of a nostalgia signing, which we all would have been happy to make anyway. And Kendricks... Yeah, probably is underperforming. But do you think they're just not playing as well, or is that you know that their coaching assignment isn't what you'd hope it to be? I don't necessarily see a big drop off from 
KJ Wright in the season. I mean, he had the pick that helped seal the game against the Browns. Uh, he's he's still up there in tackles on the season. I'm feeling like there's not those big impact plays that just wow you out of this group. Mm. And that's more of what I was expecting. Yeah, I mean, Wagner obviously hasn't missed a beat, but I think I said to my my guys on WhatsApp on Sunday that it was the middle of the second quarter. I hadn't heard Bobby, Bobby Wagner's name yet. He, he just wasn't wasn't a factor in the game. Now, maybe that's because that teams are kind of scheming away from him, which is a, a smart move. And I think the Bengals tried to take, have Mixon take him on about eight times in a row, and he didn't win any of them uh, on, on, on the opening day of the season. So yeah, I, it's going to be interesting to see how, how that goes. I mean, obviously, Ken Norton Jr. was the old linebacker coach. So if there was a position group that you would hope on that, on that defense that would bounce back and make an improvement, it would be the linebackers because everything's in place to do it. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how, how that plays out. And actually on my list, I did have the linebackers ahead of the defensive line slightly. And part of that, okay. I look at this linebacker group and I could say, well, maybe they don't have the trust in those guys in front of them that they're having to wait and see what happens up front. And they aren't able to play their, t- you know, that uh, more aggressive style that mm-hmm. they're used to potentially. Well, Sunday will be very indicative as to both those position groups, given the type of offense they're going to come up against you know, with Lamar Jackson, the huge team of running backs that Baltimore are going to bring to town. I think those two position groups are going to be put under huge scrutiny. And I think we'll come out of it with a better idea of, you know, maybe who, who got the, the better pick in the draft out, out of the two of them, whether, whether I completely whiffed on taking the defensive line too high, if they get <laughs> gashed for 250 yards on the ground. Um, and I, I imagine that the linebackers, especially KJ and Bobby, are relishing the opportunity to go up against someone like Lamar Jackson. Yeah, and Lamar Jackson, his, one of his favorite targets this year has been Mark Andrews, and that tight end is having an outstanding year so far. So mm. the linebackers could be stressed. I, I kind of want to see Akeem King get into the lineup and match up mm-hmm. against some of these bigger tight ends and, and see what he can do, because that's something we, we just haven't seen Akeem King uh, get on the group. And I felt like, you know, when they went into the season with Jamar Taylor as that slot corner, and they were kind of thinking that Ugo Amadi could maybe be a, a player in that regard, but he's on the smaller end, and you have Akeem King who's on the bigger end as a potential slot corner. We've seen him match up on linebackers in the past. You know, Travis Kelsey, you know, that was one of the, the ways that they that he helped the Seahawks beat the Chiefs. So maybe that's a matchup we see potentially up against uh, the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday. It'll be interesting, and obviously, you've got to respect Hollywood Brown over the top. So, uh, yes, the, you know, let, let's let's be honest. The, the defense probably haven't played quite as well, certainly between the twenties, as as you would have hoped for so far this season. Now, obviously, they've been getting the job done in general in their in their own red zone, not giving up too too many points. But it's probably the biggest test they're going to have so far this season coming into Sunday. And I think we'll we'll know a lot more about that group in total off the back of it. And if they can come out with a win, which I think they will. It will be be a heck of an achievement. Well, and I just think of in terms of offenses uh, now, the Rams offense didn't play that great this last weekend. But when they played against Seattle, it was, you know, a, a matchup of the two offenses. You know, who could get to 30 points first? But it's the Rams defense and that defensive line that I worry about. The Ravens defensive line, I'm not worried about. Mm-mm. And even, you know, blaspheming here to say, you know, old Thomas has not looked like blue and green Earl Thomas. And he's we, coming off expected. an injury. I, w- I would make the same excuse if he were on the Seahawks still. He's coming off another yeah. significant leg injury and it could take him some time to recover from that still. 
two significant leg injuries. So I think right. he, th- th- these aren't these wouldn't be excuses. This is just how the human body works. And unfortunately, it's it's not a huge surprise that he's lost a little bit of speed. Uh, but it'll be very interesting to see how he's targeted, if at all. Uh, in the game uh, and kind of how much ego comes into it because you know what these football players are like and the coaches they're always going to want to show each other that they were right and the other one was wrong so that's going to be a great matchup to see what happens over the middle uh, on Sunday evening looking forward to it I'm also looking forward to add up the the 100th episode of the pedestrian podcast if people want to check it out if they want to follow you on Twitter where do they go you can find us uh, at Seahawkers UK, which is the uh, official Twitter handle of the UK Seahawkers. Uh, I'm at Adam D. Nathan. There's at Stu Court, who is my co-host. And uh, I'm sure we're plugging, plugging the show. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to getting it recorded with Stuart in Seattle and me very much not in Seattle, unfortunately, this afternoon evening. Yeah, that's a bummer Yeah, that your co-host goes and, and leaves you on a trip to Seattle and, and you're stuck back back home in London. No respect from Stuart, if you ask me. Just as a tribute, he she really should have uh, foregone the trip uh, if he had any class. But, you know, what, what do we expect? Adam, thanks once again for coming on. And I think with that, we'll get on out of here. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.